His was a life defined by acts of faith that would change the course of history. Join us as Pastor Chris Chadwick preaches from the Bible on Abraham and the difficult journey of faith. Genesis chapter 22, as we come, is really, um, now, I often say this, it's one of the greatest or whatever. Um, those, those points are, are maybe personable, personal, and they might even be arguable. Like, if you ask me, what's the greatest chapter in all the Bible? Um, it would probably depend on a lot of different circumstances, and maybe even what I had for lunch that day, I don't know. But as a general rule, I would probably tell you John chapter 9, where the crippled man is healed by Jesus, and the Pharisees come to him, and they say, hey, who healed you? And he says, Jesus, or he was not crippled, he was blind. And they said, Jesus. And he said, Jesus. And they said, you're a liar. He goes, no, that's who healed me. And there's this sarcastic interchange between them. And I, I kind of like that. I, I actually, I love that. I think it's pretty awesome. And I love John chapter nine. Now you might have different chapters that are, most people might pick like Psalms 23 because it's a comfort. Most people don't find pleasure out of sarcastic chapters of the Bible, but when you were a youth pastor, you do, and you were a youth pastor, and Bern probably, he probably doesn't find that funny, but Zane will. Zane will be like, oh, that was great, loved it. I don't even know where Zane went. His wife's sitting over here. He's over here, as far away from his wife as he could get. By the way, would you give him a hand on making a quick change and not being boring? Good job, man. That was great. And staff meeting last week, I said, thank you for the Navy brief last night. Uh, that was awesome. And uh, we, we had a good laugh about it. Um, but different people might have different chapters. But say all that to say that this chapter right here is probably considered by most people to be one of the most impactful chapters of Scripture in the Bible. As a matter of fact, there's a strong sense of dread in having to preach it. It's, it's like, well, why is there dread in having to preach it? Aren't you excited about it? Well, it's such a wonderful passage. I don't think anything that I do could ever do this passage of Scripture, the service that it so rightly deserves. It's that wonderful. So we're going to read the first 14 verses together. So grab your Bible, Genesis chapter 22. Let's read the first 14 verses together, this first uh, part of the, this first narrative. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. And offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off or off in the distance. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass or the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? We're missing the key component, Dad. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he, Abraham, said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything to him. For, I, for now I know that Thou fearest God, 
seeking, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behind him a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Isaac said, Praise the Lord. And Abram called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Growing up, I was obviously the youngest of two older siblings. Gloria is eight years older than me. I say that all the time, but I just want you to remember how old my sister is. I won't tell you how old she is. I'll tell you she's eight years older than me and I'm 49. And my brother, she's mad at me right now, but not so much. Uh, my brother is five years older than me, according to Gloria's math, in February, but my brother is five years older than me. And that provided for a lot of wonderful experiences, and most of them were interesting. But I learned some really valuable lessons in life. Now, not from my sister. She was very kind, but my brother, he had anger issues, and I was the issue. For five years, he had been the youngest in our family, and my parents found a more perfect way, and I was born. I'll let that one seek in slowly. And I was born, and my brother uh, would often wrestle with me, which really meant that my brother would beat me up and call it wrestling. And my dad would come in the room, hey, are you guys fine? And I couldn't speak because his knee was in my esophagus. And uh, my brother would go, yeah, dad, we're doing great. No problem at all. And my dad would go, okay, you guys keep having fun. And I couldn't speak and I'd be passed out or whatever. I'm, I'm kidding a little bit, but not much. And one of the things that I learned though is being the pesty little brother that I was, was how to irritate my older brother. How many of you are younger and you know how to irritate your older siblings? That's a work of grace in the part of God, isn't it? I just absolutely love it. I see some of the little siblings irritating the older siblings. I was watching the, I wasn't watching, I was just watching the Lund children the other day and, and uh, Zephan, who is the youngest, and, and Jaina, and Jaina was talking to me and Zephan came up out of nowhere. Here's this evil little kid and he walks up and he takes her clip right out of her ear or hair and just starts walking off with it. She's like, where did that go? And I'm like, I'm not telling you because we have a solidarity between youngest siblings. You have to find that out. So she found it out, elbowed him right in the face. And uh, it was, it was a, not an awesome experience for him. But little brothers, little sisters, I learned how to be a pesty little brother. I learned how to be an irritating little brother. And it wasn't uncommon for my brother to grab me and do really weird things like, like put me in a headlock. I remember one time he, he tied my hands behind my back and dripped water on my forehead until I finally cried mercy. I mean, he was just that kind of pray for him. He's supposed to get out of prison soon. And there was my brother and he would do those things to me. And, and it wasn't uncommon for him to get me in a headlock or whatever. And I'd go, come on, I quit. I quit. I quit. And he'll, he would always say these words. Well, always, almost always say these words after a tremendous amount of, of back and forth and nothing, I'm, I'm giving him a hard time, but nothing ever serious. And, and he would have me in a headlock and he would say these words, do you surrender? And I would go, I surrender, I surrender. Do you promise you surrender? Yeah. And then he'd go, you're not crossing anything, are you? No, no, I surrender, I surrender, I promise, I surrender. And then as soon as he would let me go, I would jump up, smack him on the back of, my, of his head, and run to my mom. And he'd go, you surrendered, you promised. Had my legs crossed. You said you didn't cross. I lied, never trust your enemy. And story of my life. I surrendered, but I took it back. As we come to this text of scripture tonight, we see some of Abraham's great test. Abraham was a man who was used to being tested by the Lord. He was tested really four great times, this being the greatest of his tests. The first was when God told him to leave Ur of the Chaldees and the whole group of people that he knew, and he was supposed to leave and go into the promised land. Then he was tested when it came to Lot, his nephew. You remember that Abraham loved Lot and, and uh, the Lord uh, was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham had to be okay with that test. We studied that. Then Abraham had the test of Ishmael and Hagar and Abraham didn't want to let 
Ishmael go, but he actually prayed this prayer, oh, that Ishmael might live before the Lord. He loved him and he hated to separate from him, but God told him it would be okay and Ishmael would be a great nation and Abraham had to pass that test. Well, now we come to this passage of scripture and we see God doing something rather fantastic in this test. It's a major spiritual test, if not the greatest test of all. Now, there's a lot of types and a lot of pictures, and, and, and I do want to say that, that Isaac is a, is a picture, this is a picture of Christ's coming, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, God sacrificing his son, all of that. I am not going to deal with that tonight. You could preach this passage from about four or five different angles, and, and, and really the only reason is just for the sake of time. I feel led to go a different direction. So if you can imagine in verse 34 of chapter 21 that Abraham has been sojourning in the land of the Philistines for many days, probably somewhere around 13 years. The last time we talked about Abraham, if you'll remember, it was when Abraham dismissed uh, Hagar and Ishmael back in chapter 21. And, and Abraham is, is there and Isaac is about four years old. And now most historians, commentators think that Isaac's probably about 17, year old, 17 years old. So for about 13 years, we don't really have any interplay or any interaction or any information about what is going on, just that Abraham lived as a sojourner, as a wanderer, as a, as a passerby in the land of the Philistines for many days. If we take those accounts of four and, and 17, again, 13 years without anything. And the first words that we have is that it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. God tempts him. I want you to notice firstly tonight, God tests faithful believers by asking them to surrender to him the very best that they have. God tests faithful believers by asking them to surrender to him the very best that they have. Abraham's just wandering in the wilderness. Abraham's doing nothing. I mean, he's not doing anything great. He's not doing anything bad. And the Bible says that God comes and he tempts him. That word tempt means to test or to prove it appears nearly 40 times in the Old Testament, and it often refers to God testing the faith and the faithfulness of human beings, including and especially including in this passage of Scripture, Abraham. There are many people who are tested, and as soon as they're tested, they run and hide, but that's not the stereotypical response of Abraham. And this test doesn't come as a surprise to Abraham. He's been tested before. Matter of fact, maybe for 13 years, he's been wondering, Lord, it's 13 years, there's not been a major test, because we, we know that it's a biblical principle for testing. Proverbs 17, 17 3 the Bible says the fining pot for silver and the furnace for gold. The fining pot means uh, that, that you put silver in a pot when it's impure and you heat it up and all the impurities come to the top and you skim it off. And if you want good silver, you, 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 you prove it, you heat it up, you remove all of the, the bad stuff out of it, you remove all of the dross out of it, you remove all of the impurities out of it. The same is true for gold. You put gold into a furnace and you burn off all the impurities, you skim off all the impurities. And the Bible says the finding pot for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tries the heart or the Lord tests the heart or the Lord sees where we really are. I want you to notice that this test was a very clear test. You say, well, how was it very clear? Well, the Bible says the Lord did tempt Abraham. It's very, very clear. It was an uncommon test. I want to say here that don't think for a minute that God is for human sacrifices. We know the end state of the story. God knew exactly what he was going to do. Human sacrifice was a common thing in Abraham's day by the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the people of the land. That was a common thing that they would do. They would sacrifice their children. They would sacrifice the people to appease their satanic deities. But that is not the intent of God. That is never the heart of God. God loves children. Jesus said, bring the little children unto me. He 
loves children and he hates it when people would ever do anything to hurt them or to abort them. It is vile and disgusting in the mind of God that someone would ever hurt a child, especially an unborn child in the womb. Make no mistake, young people, I don't care what the woke theologians say of the day. God is not okay with abortion. God is the giver of life. God is the taker of life. And that's not some doctor's prerogative to determine. I don't care what your biology teacher says. I don't care what your psychology teacher says. I don't care what the philosophy teachers say. God says that life is precious and life starts at conception. And children are to be born into the homes of the people that God gives them to and God hates it when people would ever abuse or take the life of an innocent. It was an uncommon test. And it was a costly test. Hey, Abraham, I have a test for you. Okay, well, great, Lord, here I am. What is it? Verse number two. Take now thy son, thine only son. You say, well, he had Ishmael. Yeah, but remember, Isaac was the promised son. Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him, therefore, a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Take your son, the son that you love, the promised child, the one that is most precious to you and offer him for a burnt offering. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, you'll remember the Lord said unto Abraham in verse number one, get thee out of thy country from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I mean, this is pretty powerful. Abraham, take your promised child. Take him to the land of Moriah. And notice the faith that it even required. God didn't say, hey, take him to the third mountain from the right or take him to this specific mountain. God literally says to Abraham, I mean, and, and, and we see the continual life of faith that God expects from the believer. Go into one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Well, if God wanted me to know, wouldn't he tell me everything up front? Well, he didn't to Abraham. Don't assume that God has to give you all the information that you want on the front end before you obey him. Don't assume that God has to come to you and tell you everything that he's going to do and then you're going to obey. Here's what God, listen to me, here's what God wanted Abraham to do. Take your son to the mountain and I'll tell you when you get there. I'll tell you in three days journey, but Abraham didn't know that that he would tell him in three days journey. Abraham had no idea. Are we going to get to the base of the mountain and did the Lord wait six months or six years or 60 years? All Abraham knew was that God said, go. Well, well what are we going to do, Lord? I don't know, but go. God's not going to tell you, get out and go. There have been more people and not reached with the gospel. More Christians stay out of God's will because they want every single step laid out before they ever take a step of obedience. Did you hear me? There's some of you here tonight like, I'd take that step if God tells me. I'd give to missions if God tells me where it's going to come from. I'd make that faith promise commitment if he promised me first and told me where it is. I'd surrender to full-time ministry if I knew that in 10 years I'd be pastoring this church or be a missionary in this place or be doing this thing. Can I just tell you that sometimes in life, God just says, get up and go, and it's time to go. Why is it time to go? Because God said go. And sometimes you need to stay because God said stay, but I want to go, but God didn't say go. God said, just get up, get out, do what I've told you to do. God tests faithful believers by asking them to surrender to him the very best that they have. I want you to notice secondly in verse 3 to 10. Faithful believers are willing to surrender the best they have to God 
trusting the Lord will provide. Faithful believers are willing to give their very best to God, trusting he will provide. Verse number three. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Imagine with me for a moment. Abraham's just in his private worship time. I don't know what it looked like in his day. Maybe he's sitting behind the shade of a rock and God comes to him and God says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to offer him there as a sacrifice in the land of Moriah in the place that I tell you of. And Abraham, it's four o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. Maybe he stayed there all day. The scripture doesn't give us any insight. You gotta have a little bit of creativity while staying theologically accurate when reading the scripture. And maybe Abraham's just sitting there going, God, for, for hours, if I'm Abraham, this is me, for hours on end, I'm going to be arguing with the Lord. How many of you be honest enough to say, I wouldn't just go like, okay, here's my son, take him. Now, at, sometimes my daughter's like at 14, 15, 16, I've asked God, would you please take them? I'll take them to the land of Moriah unto the mountain you tell me of and please don't provide a goat or anything don't provide a ram I don't want any of that Lord just but but you get the idea I'm trying to bring a little levity to a very serious situation Abraham's sitting there and 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 he is is praying with the Lord and God tells him and he's like okay Lord I'll do it I'll do what you tell me to do and Abraham goes to bed that night and he's begging God like God change your mind change your mind how many of you ever prayed the prayer God change your mind Last year at Mission Conference, I'm like, oh, Lord, sweet Jesus, Heavenly Father, the great I am, all of every name I could think of about the Lord. I'm claiming that name, and I'm like, Lord, please, by faith, I'm asking you to change your mind. Don't ask me to give that. Don't ask me to do that. And you say, well, I don't think Abraham would have prayed that prayer. Well, maybe he wouldn't, but Chris Chadwick would have. And by the looks of the crowd, probably everybody in this crowd would have done the exact same thing as to say, Lord, I really don't want that to happen in my life. I don't want to give that to you. And so Abraham's praying, praying, and praying, and praying. He stays up, in my mind, he stays up all night long. And then he finally says, fine, Father, your will be done. I know that you are good. And he wakes up in the morning, and he goes out to the foreman. He says, hey, give me two young men to go with me and Isaac. We're going to go on a hike. Uh, any guys in particular? Strong, quiet ones. I don't want mouthy ones, so Chris can't come. He'll ask way too many questions. John can't come. He'll be funny. Bring those guys that were in the Navy. They have no personality at all. Bring them. It just fit. Sorry, Burns. Sorry. It was just fit. Yeah. Yeah. We're strong. The strong, silent type. And so they, Abraham gets them and, and they take some donkeys and they put a bunch of stuff on the donkeys that they need, a tent maybe, a couple of tents probably, and provision that they'll need, and wood that they'll need, and, and uh, a fire. They take a fire. I mean, in the, in the ancient world, fire was very, very important. You didn't have a big lighter to get so started. And so they take the fire with them on a stick, and, and they go for a, for a walk. Well, how far do they walk? Well, they, they walk three days journey. Now, the average person, we're told in that day, could walk about 17 miles that was considered kind of a day's journey on foot was about 17 miles and so let's say it's somewhere between 10 to 17 miles whatever you're you're dealing with you're dealing right in that 50 60 mile range and they get to the foot of the hill of Moriah I mean they come up to the hill of Moriah and, and, and or the mountains of Moriah and and, and notice verse number three or, or four in our text and on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off, meaning God told him which place it would be. And, and maybe they camped that night and in the morning they get up and Abraham and Isaac, they get up out of, out of bed and he, Abraham looks at the young men who are keeping camp. And I, I want you to notice this. Now remember, Abraham is giving up his son. He's going to sacrifice his son. And notice what he says. And Abraham said unto his young men, Here's the Chadwick Street version. You guys stay here. 
Isaac and I, you stay with the, with the donkey. And Isaac and I, we're going we're gonna to go a little bit farther. We're going to go yonder. Abraham was from southern Israel. We're going to go yonder. Notice what he says. And worship. And what are we going to do? And come again to you. You say, well, Abraham was just wishful thinking. Well, no doubt Abraham was wishful thinking. But I believe with all my heart, based on Scripture, that Abraham really had a desire to come back with his son and believe that God was going to bring his son back with him. And we'll look in a few minutes out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse number 19 and 20, that Abraham really thought that God was going to raise Isaac back to life. And so Abraham says, we're going to go and we're going to worship. The word worship here in this text literally means this. We're going to fall down before God and we're going to ascribe worth to God. Now, hear what I said. We're going to fall down before God and ascribe worth to God. Do you get the dichotomy yet? We're falling down before the one who tell, is telling me to sacrifice my son. The one who promised to give me a son. The promise to make of me a great nation. The one who repeatedly promised that through Sarah would my seed be blessed. I'm now, a, Abraham, I'm 117 years old. Sarah is 107 years old. We had one shot at this seed being blessed thing. And that one shot was in Isaac. And we're going to go... And we're going to fall down on our faces before God in the midst of this tremendous trial. And we're going to ascribe worth to God in the midst of this huge trial. Well, I'll ascribe worth to God if he gives me everything I want. Well, I'll ascribe worth to God if he brings the girl into my life that I want gives me the job that I want, lets me have everything that I want. But Abraham is ta having taken from him that thing most precious from him, and he is trusting that the Lord will provide, and all he's going to do is to worship the Lord. It kind of helps our perspective, because we all struggle with this, when we will understand what some of the aged old saints did when they faced trials and struggles. They didn't run from God. He didn't get lit up in a bar on a Friday night. He didn't drown himself out with a bunch of stupid social media and internet. He didn't run to a porn site. He didn't start gossiping. He didn't start complaining. He wasn't yelling at his wife, Sarah. He didn't bring tension into the home. He got up into the hills and he said, the lad and I are going to ascribe worth to God. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering. Of the burnt offering, I should say, and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both together. And Isaac spake unto his father, Abraham, or Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? For the burnt offering. Well, Abraham just believed God would provide. Look at verse number eight. Oh, the theological implications of verse number eight. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Now, did you get the sentence? He didn't say, 
God will provide for himself a lamb. He said, look at the text, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Well, pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying the the major theological point here is that Abraham is prophetically speaking, looking forward to, I don't mean prophetic in like this weird, charismatic drama kind of way. I mean, just in biblical, Abraham is speaking in a way that he doesn't really even understand exactly what he is saying, but he understands this, that the very God of the universe is going to himself die for the sin of mankind. John 1, 29, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming unto him. And he said, this is what John the Baptist says. John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John 1, 36, again, looking on Jesus as he walked, he said, behold the Lamb of God. It was Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20, but the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but manifest in these last times. You say, Pastor, you, are you telling me that Abraham knew that Jesus would die? I'm not saying I understand exactly what Abraham understood, but I can tell you this, God God certainly understood that Jesus Christ would die as a lamb without spot for the sin of mankind. And this was foreordained. This was preordained before the world was ever spoken into existence. And it was Abraham who speaks here. God will provide himself as a lamb. Death on the cross of Jesus Christ was not something that had to be thought of 2,000 years into creation or two minutes into creation. It was thought of before the, there was ever darkness and light. Until they make it to the top of Mount Moriah or wherever they go in Mount Moriah. And they come, verse number 9, to the place that God told them of. And Abraham builds an altar there. And he laid the wood on the altar. And he lays it in order so that it does what it's supposed to do. And I want you to notice verse number 9 and 10. That faithful Christians follow through. Son, we're going to go up there. Okay, Dad, I'm going with you, but I see the wood and I see the fire, and we'll get some rocks when we're up there. But, Dad, I got a question. Where's the lamb? Well, son, God will provide himself a lamb. Okay. Then they get up there and they build an altar of rocks, we're going to assume, and then they put some wood on it and Isaac's looking around going, "Uh, Dad, no lamb. And Abraham, I think with a heartbroken face, tears running down his eyes, looks at his 17-year-old son and says, well, actually, Isaac, uh, you're the lamb. Um, I've seen what happens when we do this. Are you telling me, Dad, that I am the lamb? Teenagers, I, I, I think there's an applicable point here. And children, to the obedience that Isaac had. I'm just going to assume something. Abraham's 117-ish years old, depending on where his, when his birthday was. Gloria added that to our now math for years. Abraham's right around 117. Isaac's around 17. I'm just going to assume, aren't you, that Isaac could outrun Abraham? I'm just going to assume that's the case. I'm only 49, but I see some of the young people running here at Canyon Ridge. I'm like, man, I remember when I used to be able to do that and, and do it without my knees hurting and, and my back hurting and my feet hurting. And, and, and now sometimes when I run and stuff like that, my fingernails hurt. I just hate it. I just can't now I can run, but I, I mean, and I can run fast for very short periods of time, like two or three feet, and, and it's okay. But I'm just going to assume, honey, you would agree with me that Abraham probably uh, couldn't catch Isaac if Isaac ran. 
I'm not trying to take this too far. If your parents want to offer you up as a sacrifice, don't let them. But there is a point to consider here. And Abraham takes Isaac, verse number nine, and bound his son and laid him on the altar. Imagine, dads, the influence that Abraham must have had. Son, I'm going to sacrifice you. Hebrews eleven nineteen. I'm going to sacrifice, 17 and 19. I'm going to sacrifice you, but I'm going to tell you this right now, son. God is going to raise you up. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 17, by faith when he was tried, offered up his son Isaac and he, that had, as he, and he that had received the prophet offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting or considering that God was able to raise him, God was able to raise Isaac up even from the dead from whence he also received him in a figure. Abraham had to have such spiritual influence in Isaac's life Abraham had to follow the principles of, of Deuteronomy 6 and 7 where, and, and, and 626. And uh, when you talk of them, when you rise up and when you lie down and when you walk by the way, God had to be so central to their family and faith had to be so central to their family that when something of this magnitude happened, that Abraham was able to say, son, I'm just going to tell you, God is going to take care of this. And Abraham laid Isaac on the altar. He's following through. Verse number 10, and he stretched forth his hand and he took the knife. Now, some people think that, and I've heard messages and they're funny and I love them and they're great and they don't bother me at all. But I've heard people say that Abraham went to grab his knife and he's like, Lord, are you going to provide? Lord, are you going to provide? Lord, are you going to provide? I'm telling you, according to the book of Hebrews, Abraham did not think God was going to do what God did. Abraham truly believed that God was going to allow him to sacrifice his son and then God would raise him from the dead. So Abraham reaches out and, and he grabs the, the knife, if you will, and he brings the knife up. I, I just want us to understand something here for just a minute, that faithful followers of Christ follow through. How many commit to give and then don't? They just don't follow through. How many commit to do mission work and then they don't I'll be a full-time Christian servant I'll follow the Lord in missions and then they don't how many commit their children to following Christ and then they just don't follow through you can talk to your blue in the face they just don't follow through a lot of people just, hey, I'm going to be a faithful follower of Christ why are they going to be a faithful follower of Christ because it seems like the right thing to do in the moment and they just don't follow through. The world becomes appealing, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. They take two steps forward. They take three steps back. And I'll be honest with you, our churches are filled with people that God has called to do stuff and they just don't follow through. But faithful Christians always follow through. Abraham followed through. He puts Isaac on the altar. He ties him up, puts him on the altar, grabs the knife, raises the knife. I mean, dude is following through. Make no mistake. I wonder how our church would be different here at Canyon Ridge if you followed through to witness to your lost coworkers. Or if you followed through to invite people to church. I wonder how our life would be different if you men and women followed through not to look at porn anymore and not to think about porn anymore. If you just followed through. Oh, we make altar commitments all the, all the time, but altar commitments don't always alter our life. And then there's other people. I wonder how your family would be different if you followed through with not being angry. Well, it's just how I am. I know I lash out, but they know me and they're okay with it. No, no, God's not okay with it. 
and you've made 10,000 commitments and made 50,000 pleas and you've done everything. The problem is we're just not by the grace of God asking him for strength, following through. I wonder how your home would be different, Dad, if you just followed through. If we just, hey, this is what God's called me to do and I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna follow through. Come what may, I'm gonna follow through. Nothing is gonna stop me because I'm gonna depend on the grace of God and I'm gonna work in the spirit of God and I'm gonna trust the word of God and when days are hard, I'm gonna keep going and when days are easy, I'm gonna keep going and I'm gonna worship him and I'm gonna ascribe worth to him but I'm not gonna stop serving him. I'm not gonna come up with a fake illness so that I don't have to go to church on a Sunday night. I'm not gonna even think that it's having to go to church. I'm gonna love coming to church. I'm going to man up and lead my family. My wife's not going to be the spiritual leader of my home. I'm going to be a committed, faithful follower of Christ. And sometimes she's going to love it and sometimes she's not, but I'm going to follow through. And ladies are going to say things like this. I'm just going to be a submitted follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to submit to my Lord. I'm going to submit to my husband. I'm not going to be a doormat. I'm going to be a delightful Christian woman. I'm going to find other women to influence for Christ. I'm going to find other women to witness to. I'm going to look for lost folks in this world and I'm going to share the gospel with them and I'm going to follow through. Well, but if I did that, wouldn't my life be so much different? Uh Uh-huh. Imagine if Abraham had to come back home without Isaac. walks through the door. Sarah's like, hey, how was your camping trip? Oh, it was good. How does I, did Isaac enjoy it? Oh, I think he thought it was interesting. Well, what do you mean interesting? What happened? Well, let's just eat first. But he didn't let his wife's response keep him from being obedient. Something's been on my heart lately. I've heard a lot of men at our church say recently, well, Pastor, when it comes to my family, that's just not a hill I'm, will, I'm willing to die on. I've heard it so much lately that I'm beginning to wonder what hills are worth dying on. Some men, the reason you have no influence in your home, and guys watching online, the reason you have no influence in your home is because there's no hills left to die on. You've given up every hill that's left to die on. And so then by the time you finally get to the hill that's worth dying on, you have no land left to help you fight and protect yourself. And there you are on the top of like one of those little Dr. Seuss hills that it's just, it's like two feet. And if you move at all, you're just going to fall down. That's the last hill that you have to die on. Well, I'm not going to die on that hill. Well, I'm not going to die on that hill. Well, I'm not going to die on that hill. Well, I'm not going to die on that hill. Well, I'm not going to die on that hill. And I'm not going to die on that hill. And before long, you just are in the habit of surrender, 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 surrender. I mean, you'll say, man, at men's retreat, you'll jump up and down, praise the Lord, I'm the leader of my home. You're not really the leader of your home. You have the title, but you're not defending anything. You're not protecting anything. You're not, you're not fighting for your family because you have no hills worth dying on. Can I tell you, I have a ton of hills in my family worth dying on. Well, but my wife doesn't like it. Neither did mine. That's why they're called the hill worth dying on. Debbie said more to me than more than a few times to me. Are we really fighting over this? No, I'm just letting you know I'm winning. Well, you think you're winning? No, I know. And if you want to be stubborn, I'll take stubborn to a whole new level. By the grace of God, I'll be the most stubborn husband on the face of God's green earth. By his abundant grace. Why? Because this is worth dying on for me. Being at church in the Chadwick house is something worth dying on. Why? Because it's an obedience to the scripture. Giving is something in the Chadwick house worth dying on. Not watching rated R movies and garbage and porn is something worth dying on in the Chadwick family. Having conversations with my children about spiritual things, something worth dying on. Knowing who they're hanging out with to the best of our ability, something worth dying on in the Chadwick family. Making sure my daughters walk around in modest apparel. We talked about it Wednesday night. Something worth dying on. Well, you're just willing to die on a lot of hills. Yeah, that's because I'm the husband and I have to answer to the Lord for it. 
I'm not trying to make more out of Abraham than should be there. I'm just simply saying faithful Christians follow through. They follow through. I have a passion for young men. I feel like when God called me to start Canyon Ridge Baptist Church, he encouraged me to help church planters. He encouraged us to build a great ministry here and I, 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 by his abundant grace, and I think that's transpired, but he also encouraged me to help men in a world that is constantly trying to effeminize men and emasculate men and, and cause men to not stand up for anything other than their favorite sports team. And I, I'm not against sports, you know, my heart on that, but to stand up and, and cheer for their favorite sports team. Can I tell you, there are things far greater this world than sports, 10,000 times greater in this world than sports. It's called the cause of Jesus Christ, and it's called your wife and your, your children and men. God wants you to stand up and lead them. Well, my wife just doesn't want to follow. Then go without her. Then lead without her, but for crying out loud, follow through. Do you think Abraham and Sarah had a family meeting about this? Like, hey, honey, I'm going to take Isaac. We're going to go to the Mount Moriah, and I'm going to kill him. Like, like not in the you stayed out too late kind of kill him. Like, literally, God told me to sacrifice him. Can we have a family vote on this? I'm not against family votes. I'm not talking to anything. I'm for them. But this is what God told them to do. You don't need to vote on what God tells you to do. That doesn't require a vote. Where you eat on Friday night, vote. Judith came over to our house on Friday night. Emily Denson was faking sickness, so it was just me and Judith. I don't know where Emily Cranford was. I think she was out of jail by that point. She'd posted bail or something. And, and so Judith is over at the house. And I'm like, hey, you want to go eat? Yeah. So we get in the car. You know what we did? We voted for about five minutes. Like, you want to eat here? No, I don't want to eat that. that sound good. You want to eat here? No, that doesn't sound good. You want to eat here? No, that doesn't sound good. What are we doing? We're voting. We're, we're voting on that. But when it comes to living for God, we're not voting. When it comes to following Scripture, we're not voting. That's not up for a vote. You say, hey, do you feel like, like, like really chauvinistic about that? No, I just feel really biblical about that. I feel, just hear me again. I just hear, feel really biblical. And young ladies that are single, can I tell you, if you're, if you're dating some dude that doesn't have backbone enough to say, no, I'm just going to live for God. No, I'm not going to go to a concert on Sunday night. I'm not going to touch you there. I'm not doing any of that. I'm just going to follow God. If he doesn't have that kind of backbone, he's a loser. Don't choose him. You're worth too much to marry some dude that wants you to lead him around by the nose. I went to somebody a couple of weeks ago, and I said, how's your neck doing? He goes, fine, why? I said, because it seems like your wife keeps, keeps yanking your nose ring so hard that it's got to be causing neck problems. You're like, oh, I'm just tired of effeminate men trying to act like they're really biblical when their wife is the neck that turns the head, and that's not the Lord. Got a lot of things that probably should be said, but won't. And Abraham stretched forth his hand in verse 10 and took the knife to slay his son. And notice what Abraham saw. That our faithful God always provides. Our faithful God always provides. Hey, man, I know I've been on you a little bit tonight. If you'll just follow God, you'll see him provide. You'll just see him provide. I, I want to get that across to you. God always provides. and you, Oh, yeah, financially. Yeah, okay, sure. But he provides in every way that he promises he will. Every way that he promises he will. Verse number 11. Abraham's lifting up the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do anything to him. For I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. 
And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said unto this day, in the mount of the Lord shall it be seen. Abraham's raising his knife to kill his son Isaac, and the angel of the Lord calls out, don't do it. I know that you will do anything that you said you will do. What a testimony. That's the testimony we long for. That when God says do something, you say, okay, Lord, I will do it. Better to vow a vow of the Lord. If you vow a vow of the Lord, defer not to pay it. Book of Ecclesiastes goes on and says, better to not vow than to vow and not do it. Abraham vowed a vow, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And so God asked him to surrender, to sacrifice that thing which is most important to him. And then God tested him and Abraham followed through and God says, now I know you will not withhold anything from me. And Abraham's just thinking, oh, praise the Lord. I think Abraham probably just, that was revival in his heart, don't you? And then he hears a rustling behind him and he turns around and there's a ram caught in a thicket or a bush. It's just stuck there, probably in its horns, it's stuck there. And Abraham goes over and he he subdues the ram and he brings him over and, and he lets Isaac up off the altar and Isaac is having a revival experience as well for many reasons. And Abraham takes the ram and he offers him as a sacrifice to the Lord. And then he calls, Abraham calls the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh is a new name for God that we have not yet seen in scripture. And it literally means the Lord will provide Had Abraham not been surrendered to the Lord, had Abraham not followed through, he never would have understood the provisional character of our God. The reason some folks never grow in their faith, and I didn't say didn't attend church, I didn't say didn't witness, I just really, they don't grow in their faith, they stall out is because God asks them to do something and they tell him no. Or they say yes and they don't follow through. So what's God asking you to sacrifice? When we start talking about that, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit's probably prompting your heart about something that he's been prompting your heart about. What's he asking you to sacrifice? Your profession? See, because here's the deal. God wants to be first in your life, more important than anything else. And God knew Abraham's heart, but Abraham didn't know Abraham's heart. And Faith that is not tested is faith that cannot be trusted. And so God is testing Abraham's faith. And Abraham needs to understand where Abraham is. God knew all along that he would never allow him to offer his son Isaac. God knew all along what he was going to do. But Abraham had to walk this journey of faith and obedience believing that God was in some way going to raise Isaac from the dead. And by the way, at least in the, in the scripture, that had never happened before. Nobody's ever been raised from the dead before. That would have been the first time. It wasn't like Abraham had, a, had a, a, the scripture to fall back on, like, oh, God raised, you know, uh, the widow's son from the dead in the, in the kings and prophets or, or you know, uh, uh, You know, Peter prayed over the guy who fell asleep in church and fell out of the window and died. Peter prayed over him and he came back to life or Jesus raised Lazarus. No, no, Abraham had none of that. That's never happened before, but Abraham believed God was gonna raise him from the dead. Here's here's the point. God wants to be the most important in your life and so he's gonna bring some tests and some trials to see how important he really is because you need to know where you're at in your walk with the Lord. 
That's what the book of James teaches us. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. God cannot be tempted with evil. He doesn't tempt any man, but he does test us. How about your children? Is God asking you to give up that unhealthy connection that you have with your children? I'll serve God as long as nothing happens to them. Is God not good if something happens to them? I, I Believe me, I'm not making light of that. I wouldn't make light of that for a, all the money in the world. I'm just simply saying, is that the most important thing in your life? How about your spouse? As long as they're in my life, I'll be fine. I don't care whatever else happens. What about your finances? As long as I have money, I'll be okay. Me, Jesus, and dollars. What about your singleness? I'll just be single for life. Just resignation. I'm not going to trust the Lord for it. I'll just be single for life. It's just who I am. It's, it's my lot in life. I'll be married for life. It's my lot in life. It's just what I'm stuck with. What about your attitude? It's just who I am. I don't care. I'm not changing. Nothing matters. Here's the point. God wants to be first in your life. God wants to be more than any, more important to you than anything in your life. Is he? Is he? That's what this story is all about. That's why Paul could say so declaratively in Romans chapter 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Some of you, it's your past. You're wrapped up in your past. Well, if you knew what I did in my past, you know why I don't want to know what you did in your past? Because it's like joy for you to tell it. Your past is so important to you. Your past is more important to you than the forgiveness of God that he's given to you. You actually glory in the sin of your past. Can you not surrender that to the Lord? Can you not just let that go and forget about your past? Like, I'm just forgiven. You say, well, tell me about your past. <laughs> I don't need to tell you about my past, man. Let me tell you about my present. And my present is I'm forgiven, and I'm forgiven forever. I don't have to worry about my past. Jesus Christ's blood cleansed me from all sin. Oh, you must have a bad past. Well, you'll never know what it is, and God ain't going to tell you because he doesn't know anymore either. And I'm not telling you. And by the way, we're not friends. John Van Deventer was raised on a farm near Dundee, Michigan. After graduating from Hillsdale College, he taught art in public schools in Sharon, Pennsylvania. He was an active layman in his local church and included participating in revivals that were held at the church and Based on his fervent faith and service to the church, friends encouraged him to leave his profession that he was very good at and, and becoming far better. And a promising art career was before him, and they encouraged him to become an evangelist. In 1896, he was at a revival meeting in East Pleasanton, Ohio, and he was struggling with this concept of giving his all to the Lord and entering full-time ministry. He was with a pastor friend, and at a pivotal hour in his life, he surrendered everything to the Lord. He said, a new day was ushered into my life. I became an evangelist and discovered deep down in my soul a talent that I had not known about. God had hidden a song in my heart and touched a tender chord. He caused me to sing. And he wrote these words that seemed to encapsulate my childhood. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. 
worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Do you surrender all? It's the title of the message. I surrender and I'm not taking it back. It's all yours. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages anytime at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. We look forward to seeing you.